Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 70. It's a wonderful leap. Oh boy. Leaping around in time, I've run into many people. Never over one. Get to me, Hase! loco! Huh? Are you crazy? What are you doing to me? I was trying to save your life. By running me down and beating me up? No, no. I thought. Well, I thought that your heart had stopped. I was just trying to get it started again. That's all. Oh, why don't you back over me a couple more times? Well, what's your name? Angelita Carmen Guadalupe Cecilia Jimenez, as ordenes. But for you, Angela. Let's see, Sam, you are... I know, are... I know. I'm, I'm a New uh, York cabbie. My name is Max Greenman. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it's May... And May 10th, 1958. Uh, I guess you don't need me around here, do you? And you probably already know why you're yes, here, too. Yes, I do. Look, why? I do. For her. What? Yes. For Carmen Miranda without yes. the banana hat? Come on. I'm sure of it, Al. That's why I ran over it today. No, I want you to run a check on Angela... Carmen Guadalupe Cecilia Jimenez. Yeah, sure. Jimenez, yeah. Sure, yeah, there's going to be a lot of them in the phone book. Sure. Sorry, Ziggy says nada. You should not be tempted to listen to that devil. He don't know what he's talking about. And which devil might you be talking about? The one in the horrible red suit? Have you been able to see him the whole time? Yes. Then why didn't you say anything? Well, I thought if I ignored him that he would go away. This is incredible. Yeah, no, it isn't, Sam. Yes, it is. No, you forget. Small kids, animals, and can see me. And don't forget about angels. You're you're an angel. See what? I'm an angel. Oh, we'll see. That does it. Case closed. Driver, take us to Bellevue and step on us. You think she's an angel? I, I don't know. I don't know. All I can tell you is I ran over her with my car, and she's alive. But you're not here for her. You're here for Max. Tomorrow night, Max gets shot in a robbery and left comatose for the rest of his life. All for lousy cab fares. Have you come up with anything on Angela yet? Nah, Ziggy's drawing a complete blank. It's like she never existed. I mean, never existed. But that doesn't mean that she's an angel. I, uh, I'm not saying it does, but if you don't have any information on her, I mean, who knows? Look, if she was, she really blew it the first time when she let Max get shot. Huh. I've been thinking about that, Al. What if I'm here to correct her mistake? 
just uh, ran some checks way, way back in the records, and it turns out there was a singer named Angelita. Yeah, in Spanish Harlem back in the 20s. Of course. A, a small problem with that, though. What's that? A, well, she, she died in 1928. Oh, boy. Hey, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. Merry Christmas! Oh, boy, Al, I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I guess I wasn't the only one confused. It's not Christmas. This is a very confusing time for us, Matt. It's a very confusing episode. It is. Right? It's hilarious because this whole time that we've been prepping for this... I have been thinking of it as a Christmas episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, Matt, you're the one that pointed out to me that Christmas has absolutely nothing to do with it, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't aired at Christmas time. It's not set at Christmas time. But even what when we were doing the last recording, I, I called it a little miracle by accident because like, <laughs> I get the titles transposed in my head because it's it's so Christmassy. I, I, maybe it's partly the title riffing on It's a Wonderful Life, but I, I think there's more to it than that. So happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Even the themes of it and like, um, I don't know. I think if you added a Christmas tree into some scenes, it would still feel like a Christmassy episode. Like it uh, it has those vibes to it for sure. Yeah, sure. All we needed was a cameo by Tiny Boy and it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> One of the main plot points of this is that he's trying to get enough cab fares by a, a random date whenever this is set. It would make so much more sense if the deadline was the end of the year. So why isn't this just set on New Year's Eve? There could be snow, Christmas trees, everything. It would have been a lovely riff on It's a Wonderful Life. Because it's really hard to do fake snow, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> on backlot California, New York streets. <laughs> <laughs> they manage it in every other Christmas special that's filmed in September. I mean, I guess, like, I don't dislike that it's not Christmas, though. I, I always think of it as a Christmas episode. I watch it around Christmas. Yeah. Like, there's, like, the three of them, really. The other two that are actually set on Christmas. And then this. I guess it's kind of nice that it's, like, um, they're doing It's a Wonderful Life, but they're not doing it exactly. You know, there's kind of some themes there. But, I mean, it's, I mean, the fact that there's an angel is pretty much the beginning and end of it. But, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of more parallels. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that film, but I've seen it about 7,000 times. So. <laughs> I've seen it about seven times, so some of the parallels I may not be picking up on. If but, you didn't yeah. get mm. that it was uh, It's a Wonderful Life, they sure they do name drop it. <laughs> Clarence! I, I always thought Angels would be like that guy in uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence! Clarence Art, buddy. AS2. AS2. What, what, what's that? AS2. Angel, second class. Clarence, I'm Madre de Dios. You know, you ruined this job for all the rest of us. Yes, because every time I show up, everybody wants to know, where is Clarence? <laughs> and uh, I don't think we mentioned, uh, we're talking about It's a Wonderful Leap. So that's why we're talking about Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life. But yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I looked at the date of this episode and it's actually set on May 10th. 1958. It's almost the opposite of Christmas. It's just sort of the beginning of spring. And uh, it's funny that they leaned so heavily on the sort of It's a Wonderful Life motif. But like you said, Alice, and I think it had more to do with the fact of Angela's character 
and the parallels between guardian angel. Hmm. So why not lean into that? Because people are going to be maybe mentally checking in with that anyway. Anyway, if you live in the States, you will. And if like me, if you're of a certain age, <laughs> I guess younger people wouldn't know this because um, about six or seven years ago, maybe longer, NBC bought back the rights to It's a Wonderful Life. So now the movie is played basically about once a year, maybe twice a year in primetime on NBC. But there used to be a time uh, when I was a kid that I guess the movie had gone into public domain. And at Christmas time, like any time from, say, the week before Thanksgiving until a week after New Year, you could just be flipping through the channels and It's a Wonderful Life would be on at least one channel, if not two or three. So it's a movie that had just been ubiquitous Mm. when I was growing up and I've seen it a gazillion times. Actually, I love it. I absolutely love it. So I noticed some parallels, um, undeniable parallels to uh, not only It's a Wonderful Life, but, uh, well, we'll get into the mirror image stuff. I'll talk about that later. (laughs) I mean, it's like with A Little Miracle, um, the fact that it takes inspiration from a movie, um, it isn't doing it exactly. You know, A Little Miracle was a Christmas carol, which is a book, but I mean, most famously, you know, we know it from movies. You know, they were doing that, but they weren't doing it exactly. Just like this is It's a Wonderful Life, but they aren't doing it exactly. So it doesn't feel very like by the numbers wrote, like, you know where this is going exactly. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And um, the parallels are very broad. Number one is that um, Angela tells Sam that she learned all about him before she came to help. And that is a very It's a Wonderful Life thing, because when you look at it, the entire movie right up until the last act is basically a flashback of Clarence learning about George growing up and his whole life leading up to the point where he's going to commit suicide. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> so there was sort of that callback to it. And then they actually mentioned Clarence by name. <laughs> and uh, the, the one other like real parallel is that when Lenny is going to confront Frank, he takes out his insurance policy. And he puts it on the dresser, and there's some talk about an insurance policy. And um, the whole reason George decides to jump off a bridge and it's a wonderful life is that he's worth more dead than alive. Uh, I have some life insurance, $15,000 policy. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. But they do mention something about suicide in this, but uh, Al mentions that there is a suicide clause in the insurance policy, which is why he wouldn't just kill himself. Yeah, and I think maybe It's a Wonderful Life was set in a simpler time when maybe there weren't such suicide clauses. I don't know. People were just offing themselves. They saw It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) They were doing that, and they're like, we gotta stop all these copycats. Thanks, George Bailey. (laughs) These kids will do anything they see on TV. (laughs) I'm telling you. It's funny. The only other thing that I saw that was really sort of Christmas, and maybe again, it was just a a slight nod. Did you guys catch where um, Sam hit Angela with the cab? Oh, on 34th Street. Yes. Oh, I never caught that. Yeah. (laughs) And he said it was a miracle. I love taking a siesta in the middle of 34th Street. Oh, my God. You know, this is a miracle that you weren't hurt. Oh my god, that's so bad. I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. I, I was just excited because, I mean, I love any episode that starts with Sam mowing someone down with a car. <laughs> <laughs> it's a feel-good episode, yeah. it's a comedy episode. You know what? Reckless driving from Sam in this one. He also runs straight through Al, too. Yeah. He's just, he's just trying to take everyone out. 
I love the tonal shift in that opening because, like in in the previous week, all we see is him running her over, right? right. And then, <laughs> and then, and then this week, we we see the panic and we see him trying to bring her back to life, and then she punches him out. It's like, oh, yeah. this is a comedy episode, right? Okay. Oh my god, D- did not know that. It's it's great. It's a wonderful moment. Liz Torres was so good in this. Oh, I loved she's her. In so this. good. She's got a beautiful voice. But she's also, like, she's great at comedy and drama. Like, all the comedy mm. stuff was good. She had, like, this great physicality, and she had good delivery of the lines. Um, I like the, like, fly-swallowing thing. <laughs> Excuse me. You are speaking to a lady. <sighs> uh, are you... Are you... Oh, it's okay. A bug flew in my mouth. <laughs> she's a puerto rican who speaks in broken english but she doesn't understand spanish when sam talks to her yeah. pretty good it's funny because she does go very broad in this and i gotta be honest with you the first act i found her almost unbearably annoying she was just Whoa. so over the top but she grew on me and i did remember liking her in this episode but it just took me a little while to ease back into it and to say, oh, yeah, remember, this is why I liked it. This is why I remember it fondly. <laughs> I think that the fact that she did go so huge. <laughs> She's not loud. She's just Puerto Rican. I'm not loud. I'm just Puerto Rican. <laughs> Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite lines in Quantum Leap. <laughs> so good. It's a great character choice for her because I think she gets to sort of be celebratory, you know? She embraces it with such pride, and it fits in with the backstory she gives herself. What'd she call it? I, I don't want to be on the coochie... Coochie frito circuit, I think? The coochie frito circuit. <laughs> yes, thank you. The coochie frito circuit. It's weird to me that someone that seems to be so in tune with other people and so personable, like you notice that she goes right into the garage and ingratiates herself to all the dudes... Mm around in there, Lenny and his cronies. And um, she says to Sam the reason why she's a guardian angel and she's paying penance because basically she had too big of an ego in life. But that doesn't jive with who we see on screen here. Yeah, but she's she's dead now. <laughs> she's <I> like, <laughs> she's, she ain't egotistical anymore. She's an angel now. It's like there's been some off-screen character development. That's who she was, and yeah, yeah, through having to be who she's had to become and and go around helping people and and be kind of a a Sam and an Al in one. Yeah, she's obviously developed, and that's lovely. I mean, it's such such a joyous character. I get, Chris, why you say you found her annoying at first, Um, and I, yeah, I I do understand that, but... I love her from the the first moment she steps on screen. I think she's um, such a wonderful, rich character. When she's doing the Charleston, very good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where I started to turn around on her. But Yes. And here's the thing is Liz Torres is just such a wonderful actress. It's almost like I dare you to not like me by the end of yes. this. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead, try. <laughs> yeah. And even after the point where you can't fail to love her, a lot of the script, she is still quite irritating. And it's, yeah, you have to give Liz Torres a massive amount of kudos for for making that character so appealing in spite of that. Yeah, she's got all of these um these fights with Al in this episode. Um is this the the first time I guess no, I was going to say the first time uh we had such uh extensive interaction between Al and someone on the leap, but uh Shock Theater did have quite a bit too. Yeah. But uh yeah, I think this is the first time it's really someone kind of like working together with Al on something. 
Right. It's sometimes working against Al, sometimes working with Al, but the fact that they have an ongoing dialogue, I believe this is the very first time since Teresa Bruckner yes. right, that right. we see someone directly interacting with Al on their own level. Um, Tibby, Tibby, you can guess Tibby as well. And compared to all, all those other names that you're mentioning, this is probably, well, I know, no, this is definitely the most interesting relationship uh, that he has with, with somebody on Elite. And I think a lot of that comes down to how similar they are in a lot of ways. They're both very big, brash people who, who have knowledge of what's meant to be going on and, and are trying to help Sam. And it's, it's great seeing them rub up against each other in spite of their similarities. Although it does bring out an unfortunate side of Al's character that I don't think we've seen before. Yeah, they have some of the most, like, clever interactions and also some of the most cringeworthy. Because, like, yeah, <laughs> Al's fat phobia going on in this episode. It's, yeah. it's a lot of it. I was born Angelita, which means little angel. But as you can see, <laughs> I grew up. <laughs> yeah, they must serve... Plenty of sweets in heaven. But she doesn't look anything like an angel. Uh, angels are lighter. I took it down 15 feet into the pits. <laughs> I bet you shook the theater down. <laughs> yeah. The fact that she never eats? Uh, believe me one thing, Sam. What? She eats big time. All the fat shaming. All the yeah. fat shaming yeah. in this episode. And I can see where, you know, that's sort of a running gag and maybe it worked at the time or maybe we're just more sensitive now, but I, I just don't know if it, it ages well. I think it's definitely one of those things, like it was more common at the time. People wouldn't think as much about it. Certainly heavier people would, but in the more uh, broad uh, pop culture and all that, there are fat jokes and all. I mean, there's so many characters who are just defined by like, they're fat and that's it. That's the beginning and the end of the joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, luckily, you know, they have more to her than this. Uh, but yeah, I <laughs> I do really like the line. <laughs> it's only because of her comeback, okay? <laughs> when uh, when Elle's like, yeah, they must serve plenty of sweets in heaven. You're never going to get there, so you're never going to know. You, what do you mean? Why not? There's a dress code. Because there's a dress code. <laughs> <laughs> she did give as good as he gave, so mm -hmm. that made it um, a bit more enjoyable to watch. And she even joked about it, too. <laughs> I wish that Sam had called Al out on it a bit. He kind of, like, groans a little bit and acts annoyed, but he never says anything like, hey, cut it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true, because if she was, like, curvaceous and, you know, a traditional sort of knockout, Al would be leching all over her and Sam would be telling him to stop it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's odd that he gives him a pass on this one when he's being just as sort of inappropriate, but in a different way. Yeah. When she's talking about her death, <laughs> it's a comedy story. It's supposed to be funny, like a dark comedy. Um, but she's like, uh, yeah, I was auditioning for this Broadway show and I, I just went too big and I fell off the stage. <laughs> East Black. And Al's <laughs> laughing at her. She's like, well, see if I laugh when you die. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dark, the comedy in this episode. It's all about death and the devil and purgatory. <laughs> yeah, was that a was that a boogeyman reference? <laughs> She's like, you're, I, you're a devil, but... <laughs> Did you say it out loud? <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I cursed the podcast again. Check your audacity right this second. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. God, it's all good. But yeah, she's like, you're, you're a devil, but I don't see any horns. It's funny because whenever Al talks about the devil, he's really freaking serious. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. there's, there's no screwing around when it comes to that. And lots of devil jokes in this one. So uh, the whole angel thing, um, Sam believes in them and Al doesn't seem to, or he seems skeptical about it anyway, uh, which I think 
goes hand in hand with uh, the theory that Al is more quick to believe something when it is something evil or malicious than something good. Mm. My big takeaway on this was that Sam seems so ready to believe that Angela is actually an angel and he's always the skeptic. Whereas Al, if you believe in the devil so strongly, then you're going to believe in angels. I mean, they're just two sides of the same coin. The devil is an angel. It's a fallen angel, but it's still an angel. So why would you not believe that she's a guardian angel the way she says she is, but yet Sam does? It does seem a little weird, Sam believing in angels. I think it's like just to be the foil in the situation. I did enjoy when they're uh, they're in the kitchen talking about it and uh, Al's talking about like God's cleanup crew. Mm. Mm. And Sam is just like, oh, it's fun to think about. <laughs> He's just excited about it. He's like, isn't that a fun idea? <laughs> Quantum Leap has come down heavily on the side of there is a God and he is watching out for Sam. So Sam believing that Angela is an angel kind of fits in with the mythology as they set it out in the show. I mean, God, fate, time, whatever. That's the way I sort of retconned it in my head. Yeah. No, I think that, that makes perfect sense. And and Sam has always seemed open to God as being one of those options. So mm-hmm. whilst a- angels are a bit of a step further, um, it never seemed that out of character for me that he would be yeah, fa- fairly open to that here. It's one of those really interesting facets of Sam's character that as, as a scientist, he's so open to um, certain areas of mythology. I think it was um, it was really interesting that uh, Anhalita was uh, sent to save Sam. Yeah. This was a, le- a leap about Sam. Well, her leap was about Sam. His leap was about this. You know, <laughs> um, She screwed it up the first time. So she's got to like, she's got to save him. Yeah, it it also seems interesting that she or her fellow angels haven't been there for him before or later, because I'm pretty sure there's there's other times that have been a little bit closer to the wire for him. But he still made it. He did. He did. Were they implying the first time around Sam did, in fact, die? Ooh. I don't know that she was there again. I think she was just there to watch over him. Because, because the first time he did. See, I never, I, you know, it's funny, I never even thought of the fact that there was an original history that she was mm. fixing because she is a guardian angel, not a leaper. Yeah. So she could be going down where a situation, you know, maybe there, if God is omnipotent and knows everything, he knows that something is going to go wrong on this one. So he sends someone to help Sam up to a point. Because if you notice, there's, like you said, Allison, there's, there's Angela's mission. And then there's Sam's leap, and Angela's mission sort of takes them right to the point of the shooting in the alley. And um, once she sort of thwarts that by getting in the way of the bullet, then Al sort of takes over, and everything that Ziggy is screwing up kind of goes away, and then it's sort of almost like a leap as usual. Hmm. So I don't know that there was a first time. That's an interesting idea. Do you think that Sam was in that position before, and Angela was there to put right what once went wrong? I think she was. It kind of seemed like that's what they were getting at. Huh. Hmm. Well, otherwise, like, why was she sent in there versus any other time? I guess maybe because I just saw that there was some prescience that said Sam is not going to make it on this one, or Sam needs an extra hand on this one. I don't one. know, though. I mean... That's how I read it as well, but I think you could be right. And I think Chris and I both saying, hmm. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I never even thought of it, you, though. You can, hear the, you can hear the cogs turning as we're, we're, <laughs> we're all aligning. 
Hmm. It just kind of seemed like this was her own wrong to right. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it's a nice way to look at it. Hmm. And um, it's kind of disconcerting as well because then, you know, the implication then is that Ziggy actually is so fucking stupid <laughs> that he doesn't know about time zones and that got Sam killed. Yep. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> That's how <nice>. it was. <laughs> Ziggy, you screwed it up. If there is one part of this script that as funny as it was, as weird and supernatural as it was, because this is yet another supernatural episode and um, it's very close to the last supernatural episode, but that's beside the point. The one thing that just brings this to a screeching halt for me is the fact that Ziggy did not account for two hours between New Mexico and New York time. The robbery is going to happen any minute. What are you talking about? It's 9.32. You said the robbery doesn't happen until 11.32. I got two hours. Yeah, but Ziggy forgot to calculate Eastern Standard Time. You're two hours ahead. Ziggy had to be kind of dumb for Angelita to be useful in this situation. Yeah, but that is grade A dumb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree. It's not... (laughs) We're we're on to, what, yeah, about the the 70th leap by now, give or take. And and how many of them have actually been set in the New Mexico time zone? Not that many. Right. Uh, (laughs) Ziggy wasn't even, like, able to tell him what direction to go to get to the taxi place or whatever. Yeah. Right. That was wrong, too. And surely all the all the kind of information that, that Ziggy's working from is all stuff from local times anyway. It's going to be things like news reports and things like that. Yeah. None of them are going to be, be reporting the time in New Mexico when this character got shot. Why would they be saying? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nonsensical. It's those angels screwing it up, and then they're trying to take credit for like, oh, I saved the day. Ah, so you think there are other angels back at the project deliberately screwing Ziggy up to give Angela a mission? so that she can get her wings maybe some kind of evil leapers out there <laughs> you know al was talking about like ambulance chasers you know the people that like throw themselves in front of cabs so that they can like get hit and then like sue them or whatever like the angels are like setting this up like leap chasers <laughs> <laughs> i think we cracked it there you go <sighs> did you guys catch al's last line in the episode when uh when sam doesn't remember angelita did you notice anything weird about it? I honestly don't even remember it. Okay. Regalus, If Allison. you listen to this, you will never unhear this, okay? <laughs> okay. So when Al's trying to tell him, like, Sam's like, I don't know, do, do I know her? Like, he's like, you know, it's Angelita. The angel! I'm talking about Angelita, the angel. Who the fuck is that saying <laughs> the angel? Because that is not Dean Stockwell. The angel. The angel. The angel. I think that is Dean. That is not Dean Stockwell. You listen to that. That is no way Dean Stockwell. That's like, I don't know, Donna Belisario or someone going like, the angel. <laughs> the camera isn't on Dean at that point. So it would be a really easy line to drop in if they were like, hang on, the audience isn't going to pick up what's going on right now. Let, let's just drop in a line quickly during a cutaway to Angelita. Yeah, they just did not have him for like one last ADR they wanted. And yeah. so they added that. But it is it is so bad. And now you can't unhear it. The angel. You know, it's funny that you say that because at this point in the episode, my mind was reeling because of certain parallels I saw to a certain series finale. Ah, uh, that. Do we want to get into that whole thing? I definitely noticed the mirror image parallels. You're not wrong. All right. I do want to talk about that because I forgot completely that Sam 
Sam didn't remember who Angela was at the end of this. And when she kisses him and she kind of walks away and she says, but, you know, people from this time won't remember me. What happens after you help me? I move on to my next assignment. I know that feeling. And in this time, no one will remember I was ever here. And the only thing I could see is that um, dead miners save men's lives and disappear in a blue flash and nobody remembers them. Dead men save miners' lives and then and vanish into an aura of blue light? Yeah, I'd say there's something special about this place, all right? Books are full of the dead saving the living. So Stjapa was here. I remember him. Why don't they? That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Angelita, she died in 28. <laughs> 30 years ago. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, because we have an actual now in-universe sort of example of something that's going to happen in the final episode of the series. Does that mean that I think a lot of people, when we're talking about Mirror Image, maybe they think that Sam is dead. Yeah. I was never one to subscribe to that notion. I don't think he's dead, but this sure does put him in the guardian angel category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want to follow this mythology, if you want to say that what happens in this episode is indicative of everything else that we see in Quantum Leap. Yeah, I, I don't think you even need to make a mirror, a mirror image parallel. This episode stands alone as potentially supporting the theory that Sam is dead. And I, I've I've always been on the fence about that theory, um, but wait, wait, um, can, can you go deeper into that? What do you mean this this episode stands alone? I mean, you're you're, you're saying that you're, you're pulling in a parallel with Mirror Image, which I get, but I'm saying I, I don't think that parallel is even necessary. In that, there's some very obvious broad parallels between Sam and Angelita that you you could immediately from watching this before you even get to Mirror Image start hypothesizing that. Sam may be dead and is a guardian angel who does not have a direct contact with God and is instead, God is representing himself through Al somehow. Ah, it's interesting. So Al is God in this scenario? And the devil in others? <laughs> or, or at least God's mouthpiece. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a flawless theory, but it's, I, I toy with it sometimes. I, I like it. I, I think Leap Back is the, the big challenge with that theory. Um, but if it wasn't for that, if he'd never made it home at any point during the series um, since Genesis, I think it would be entirely plausible that he died in the Quantum Leap Accelerator and then all of these were missions like Angela's. And uh, and this is just a bit of a, a bit of a clue to that. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. Hmm. Yeah. Wrong, but interesting. <laughs> As I say, the, the, it's really hard to square that up with, with Leap Back. And I go into a lot of depth in, in the book with that and, and trying to, trying to square it all up. Um, what, one other possibility is that that's the point that he dies and that actually it's only seasons four and five that are set after his death. But yeah, it's, I, I think it's fairly clear that it's not the author's intention. I, I don't think that Belisario had, had in mind that he was dead. But, you know, sometimes it's fun to take a show and try and turn it upside down. And I, I think that's something you can do with the, the clues that are dropped in this. And then again in Mirror Image. Why would Anhalita be sent to save him if he was already dead? 
that's another issue with the theory. As I say, it's not, it's not, it's not flawless. I mean, it, it does render a lot of leaps pointless if he is in fact a dead person. Does it? Does it really? I mean, if they're like, if he's in danger and he's in danger in a lot of them, it's like, well, but was he? It, it renders the drama a little irrelevant and it, it removes the jeopardy. But then, you know, you could argue this this is a show where Scott Bakula is the main character. The jeopardy is never there any more than it is for Captain Kirk or, or any other hero. But uh, like I say, it, it's not my theory, but sometimes it's one that I like to take and try and figure out how to make it work. And um, Sometimes you experiment, but you're not fully there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to come to a point where I'm, I'm, I firmly believe this, this theory. You're dead Sam curious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm making jokes. It is an interesting theory to think about. Like, sometimes there's headcanons. You're like, what if it was this? Or what if yeah, it was that? It yeah, is yeah. kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah. And my, my headcanon leapt to, no pun intended, that Angelita is paying penance as a guardian angel for her big ego. If Sam is, in fact, a guardian angel, what penance is he paying? Hubris. Yeah. Sheer fucking hubris. Um, <laughs> this could, uh, but this could then tie into the theory that maybe he died at the end of the leap back. He's paying penance for attempting to override God's will in the leap home a season before. Maybe. He jumped into the accelerator before uh, they had all the testing uh, because they were going to lose funding. Um, we don't really know exactly what Sam was like before he leaped. The only reference that we have is afterwards. He could have been like a really ego to his ego was too big. I had too big a, a, an ego. Ego. Yeah, well whatever it was, it was too big. <laughs> his ego <laughs> He he seems like a nice guy in prelude, but I know we, we talked about that in the last episode, so let's let's not go there. I believe he was probably a nice guy. I don't really think that he <laughs> that he died and had to atone for his sins, but you could very easily say that's what it is because again, we don't actually really know uh what Sam was like. Yeah. No, I mean, we like to think that he's always been the Sam that we see on screen because he's just such a likable character. He's just such a good guy. Yeah, but so is Anhalita, and she's dead, you know? She became that. Yes. <laughs> ah, but she knows she's dead. That's true. And she knows that she's she's paying a penance. Sam thinks he's, you know, in a time travel experiment that went a little caca. Mm -hmm. so. He doesn't know that he's Sam the angel. The angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. It's funny because we're kind of geeking out over all these fan theories and this episode has actually proved very fruitful for the book series because there is a book by Elizabeth Storm called Angels Unaware. Yeah. And right, it, right. it picks up the story of not only Angelita but Teresa Bruckner mm -hmm. and – she asked some of the questions that, you know, I ask because if Angelita was a human, there's no way she could really become an angel because angels are separately created beings. So it's kind of a weird thing to make her into a guardian angel. But in popular entertainment, you know, we all grew up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons where Daffy Duck blows up <laughs> and then he floats up to heaven on a cloud with a harp and a, and a halo. So yeah, when you die, you become an angel. No way Daffy Duck became an angel. No way he went to heaven. <laughs> No way. That's where I learned religion from. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. That's that's where I learned what angels are from. I can tell you that. So And and Angels Unaware, let's let's remember, that has scenes set at Christmas. So, you know, we, we do have a Christmas link here at last. An actual Christmas link. 
And again, like a little miracle, they have a character who can see and talk to Al. So there are some similarities there as well. Yeah. And I did like the fact that in Liz's book, she does ask that question about mm. like the nature of actual angels versus a guardian angel. And it, it was an interesting book. I really enjoyed it. And Liz is – she's by far the most popular author in the Quantum Leap tie-in series. So that book and Pulitzer are uh, the fan favorites, hands down. Yeah. They're both very good owl books. They go into his backstory a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So if you people out there listening want some more of Angela and haven't read the books yet, by all means, go go read Angels Unaware. Find it and read it. it it's a good book. It's yeah. a good book. Liz does a good job. And she's a very nice lady. I first met her at my very first Quantum Leap convention, and um, she Aww. made me feel right at home. Yeah, she was terrific. Aww. That's nice. So, That's good to know. Yeah. So part of... Angelita's uh, backstory is that she uh, she died uh, in the 20s, and she still dresses like she's in the 20s, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was a nice detail in the costuming. You can tell that it's out of date, even for the 50s, mm. even like her makeup is done uh, in an old-fashioned way. Yeah. If she were a guy, she would have been wearing a zoot suit. I mean, they just went to shorthand for the 20s. It was a neat costume. I don't know if I've ever seen a flapper who was like... Uh, heavier? I always see, like, very thin ladies. Mm. I've never really seen someone dressed up as a flapper that's more heavy set. Well, I gotta think that anything that you see on screen is going to be people in Hollywood who are paid to stay thin. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm not implying that every flapper was thin in real life, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just fun to see. interesting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting wrinkle in how we think of flappers, much like how we think of angels. Hmm. Yeah. She's, you know, she subverted expectations. <laughs> At every turn. But yeah, good job by uh, my best friend Jean-Pierre Doliac on the, uh, on the costuming. <laughs> hey, do you know Jean-Pierre Doliac? <laughs> my best friend Jean-Pierre Doliac. <laughs> Wow. I did like like Sam's outfit, too. Very good. He looked good at glasses, hat, knitwear, and suspenders. Mm. Pretty good. Just on the topic, sorry, it's just on the topic you were talking about then. It's nice. I think it was a few episodes back we were talking about previous time periods that Sam could leap to, and we all agreed the 20s would be a nice leap if there was some kind of uh, canon way of getting him out of his own lifetime. <laughs> it's nice here. They, they do get a character that's got, yeah, 20s outfit and sensibilities, um, so we do get a, a taste of it. Oh, I think I see a sequel to Paradox forming here. <laughs> Sam leaps to the 20s and he, he wants to save... And meets someone named Angelita. <gasps> Angelita, and he, he goes to save her, but then she's not there to save him. And that's oh, very George wow. Bailey, too. Oh. Yeah. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Do you think she was auditioning for West Side Story or that was too new? I think that was too new. I don't think that was around in the 20s, but she certainly loved it. You know, that's a musical about Puerto Ricans in New York. And you know what? They got Puerto Ricans in it. That was so great when she was singing um, Somewhere. Hold my hand and we're halfway there. Hold Sounds like an angel to me. And I'll take you there somehow, someday, somewhere. 
Such odd little asides in this episode. Um, this episode sure took its time to do whatever the hell it wanted. <laughs> because you did have a lot of the banter in the cab between Al and Angelita and Sam, and that was great. But then you had all these quiet moments, as big as Liz Torres went in this episode. She was amazing in the in the quieter moments and just in these these little asides. Like you're saying, well, she just sits there and starts singing somewhere. Mm-hmm. And everybody just stops dead because she's so great. And it's like it doesn't fit anywhere into the show, yet it works. And I attribute that to her. And there's that scene when she's at Max and Lenny's house and she just does a piano break and she starts singing Someone to Watch Over Me, which is a little bit more on the nose. I mean, yeah, she's a guardian angel, watch over me and all that. Well, that one also is more uh, plot important. The other one is, there doesn't really seem to be a reason why (laughs) she's doing it, but uh, but that one, at least, she's uh, she's singing the song that uh, was Lenny and, and his wife's song. It was sort of like a nice, it was almost like a parallel between the two characters that gave them something to bond over because I think that Angelita is sort of mourning her own death. Yeah. And Lenny is mourning the death of his wife. And it was a moment that they were able to share. I love the fact that he just sort of took to her right away. Immediately. It's like inviting her to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that that was odd, but... um, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just me being able to fill it in because I've heard stories about my grandfather who I never really knew. He died when I was about six years old, but apparently he would bring home at least one stranger every week to dinner. <laughs> and they just they just came to expect it at my mom's house. Like, oh, who's who's this now? Oh, someone, you, you know, that Huey met and he'd come, come have a meal. So maybe <laughs> it's not so beyond the pale as all that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they were more uh, trusting in the 50s, you know. Whatever, come on over. <laughs> yeah, I, I found that I found that relationship very believable. I know I I don't know why there was just there was something about it. It, it was very sweet, but I bought it. I thought it was uh it was cute when uh when they're eating dinner and then like uh, Angelita's like oh no I don't I don't eat or drink no and then like she just kind of does like a she mimes holding a drink for the toast. Yeah, it's just another little touch that Liz Torres brings to the role. She's just so on. She seems to be an actress uh, Donald Belisario really likes. She also had a, a recurring role on Tequila and Benetti. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I believe in either JAG or NCIS, one of the two. Yeah, Tequila and Benetti, she was like a psychic who could hear the dog. <laughs> what? I have to watch Tequila and Benetti. If you find a copy of it, let me know. I have no idea how to get it now. <laughs> you can't You can't get it, huh? I'm sure we have a vast Quantum Leap fandom at our fingertips who might have some crossover materials that are of Quantum Leap interest. Quantum Leap adjacent, let's call them. Tequila and Benetti, I think, fits into that. Come on, get us the Tequila and Benetti. Nah, it's all right. I've I've got it right here. I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, listeners. Don't ask how, but um, I'm sorting it as we speak. Did it only run for one season? Yeah. Oh, it was like 12 episodes. It was a mid-season replacement and got canceled very quickly. <laughs> Just a little too avant-garde? You know what? They were ahead of their time. You know, when you see the dog walk into a room where there's a corpse hanging there and he's like, oh, there was a poodle in this room. That's when you really, you feel all the emotions that they were intending. (laughs) My God, yeah, this looks, um, this does not look good. Uh. (laughs) Oh, it's, I love Tequila and Benetti. (laughs) I can't wait to watch it now. That and now Tales of the Gold Monkey, Tequila and Benetti. Of the two shows ostensibly Tales of the Gold Monkey is the better show, but Tequila and Bonetti is the show I would watch before Tales of the Gold Monkey. (laughs) And they do have a lot of uh, Quantum Leap regulars. And Terry Funk plays a a regular role. I think I mentioned that before in the 
the Heart of the Champion episode. Oh, cool. Oh my god, Terry Funk, really? <laughs> yeah, he has a recurring role, yeah. I don't know if he's really a main character, but he's in like every episode, I think. That's awesome, good for him. Yeah. yeah if you're going to have a show with an out-of-this-world ridiculous premise, why not get the most out-of-this-world ridiculous actor you can? Right? <laughs> <laughs> He thinks RoboCop's real? He's like, do you know RoboCop? (laughs) Your move, creep. Okay, there's one, like, big thing, big elephant in the room in this episode that I don't really want to talk about, but I think we gotta. Yeah, we kind of have to, (laughs) don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Trump. (laughs) It was just such a throwaway thing. At the time, it was cute. Let's... (laughs) Is he there? Is that supposed to be his fucking white supremacist dad with him? With the mustache, <laughs> KKK Trump. Yeah, seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did he leave Lenny a tip? I don't care if I'm pissing anyone off. If you support Trump, fuck off. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> orange Hitler. I'm so mad. Uh, the Quantum Leap podcast gets political. Sorry, you got to censor a lot. It's okay. I have the uh, the hand link sound effect at the ready. Don't worry about that. But this cameo does at least lay the groundwork for the brilliant Colbert sketch many, many years later. So That's the only thing that saves this, is that Colbert sketch. <laughs> that's the, exactly. That that makes this scene worth it. But it's I I I know you you call it an elephant in the room, but this this was what, ninety two? It was a different time. I I I forgive it and I think it's quite cute as a little kiss with history. And it's such a rare kiss with history in seasons four and five. They don't do the little subtle ones anymore. So I, I like it. This isn't the first or, or last uh, cameo that they've had from someone uh, problematic later <laughs> on. Perhaps uh, this was, you know, known through Hollywood, but not widely known. Stuff like that. Like they had like the Woody Allen thing and, you know, they, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, they've done this more than once. But gosh, this one hurts. It hurts. It hurts because it implies that Sam's responsible for everything that's happened. Yes. <laughs> Sam Beckett destroyed our lives. Wow. Yeah, don't don't think that through too much. Ziggy only knew stuff up until the late 90s. Well, I don't know about that because uh, getting back to Mirror Image, Gushy says, Look, look, we scanned all of Dr. Beckett's birthdays from 1954 through the end of the 21st century and and he couldn't what? find any trace of Sam. Mm. Yeah. What? He can Ziggy can scan into the future? Apparently, they put that in in the very last episode. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess Ziggy wouldn't be able to provide any information other than where Sam is. You know, presumably if Sam was in the future, Al wouldn't show up and say, hey, you're here to do this, and this is when this is going to happen, and blah, blah, blah. Just locating. Anyway, we're talking mirror image stuff, but... I guess if he can look into the past, he can look into any time period. <laughs> she, 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 she. Her, her, her. Oh, look, she's fluid. <laughs> yeah. Don't pin her into one box. Hmm. And the person who played uh, Papa Trump was Vaughn Armstrong, who yes. is also a regular at like, Star Trek conventions. He's big in the Star Trek fan community. He had a lot of like different roles in different Trek yeah. series. So, Oh. Yeah. Just, uh, it's quite unfortunate that he had to play uh, KKK Trump. <laughs> he, was a, he was a semi-regular in Enterprise, and apparently Bakula recognized him on the first day on, on set and was like, hey, great to see you again. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he was Admiral Forrest. Yeah. I just saw him in the Mirror Darkly episode, which was fun. Yeah, he's good in that. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, Star Trek connection, Trump connection, Colbert connection. What I love is that Stephen Colbert is such a, like, 
enough of a quantum leap nerd to refer back to this episode and recreate it as, as a skit. Yeah. I think that that's awesome. Yeah, but then he uses the Al Kamikaze Kid uh, outfit because that's the like the outfit everyone remembers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't you have the glasses from that outfit? Well, no, I have uh, I have like a recreation. I tried to get them, uh, but my best friend Jean Pierre Dorliac uh, sold them on eBay to someone else uh, internationally. But I do have a pair of glasses that were going to be used in the Disco Inferno episode, and I am told that Dean Stockwell did wear, uh, but it messed with his eyes so they didn't end up using them touch dean stockwell yeah right <laughs> you have dean stockwell seizure glasses my goodness <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say seizure <laughs> the seizures implied right yes uh, to me my head cannon says seizure oh no those always reminded me of those glasses of what spock had to wear when he was melding with the medusan ambassador <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you want to go all deep Star Trek, which also had Diana Mulder as the uh, the blind attaché, and uh, she later played Dr. Pulaski. And now I'm desperately trying to think of somebody in Next Generation Season 2 that was in Quantum Leap, so I can vaguely bring us back on track. Um... <laughs> okay, I have one more note about this episode that I've written oh, down. Oh, that's right. We were talking about It's a Wonderful Leap, weren't we? I almost yeah, forgot. It's a Wonderful Leap. Yeah. Okay, so when there's the standoff with the gun... When the boss guy, when he picks up the gun to shoot uh, Sam and Lenny, Sam kicks the desk at the guy, launches over it. What a move. (laughs) (laughs) Sam was parkour before there was parkour. Oh, so good. It was pretty cool. And it's funny that they had um, not one, but two scenes with gunplay in this episode for such a Christmas episode. Sure, it was bloody. (laughs) (laughs) Did the, was it bloody? Did I, no one got shot? And Halita got shot, maybe. But there was no blood. <laughs> maybe she got <laughs> shot. Maybe she just turned and then the jacket flew out. And then the... I've never seen Al more animated than him recreating the shooting there. <laughs> the guy's pointing a gun at and he's going to shoot, and she spun like that. No, she didn't yes, she spun did. like and her that. Her coat flew open and the, the no. shot went right like that, right under her arm. No. It came out the back, and it never even touched her. What I want to know is if the bullet did go straight through and Halita. How did it not hit Sam? <laughs> I mean, if she was going to block it, that's great. But if it went right through her. If it went through her and shot him, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh, boy. And she'd be like, oh, boy, and then leaps out. Yeah. Oh, boy. One thing that I, I did remember that seemed a little bit incongruous was at the end of the episode where she reveals that she says, who do you think I was here for this entire time? Uh, Sam. And... In my head, I remembered like them reacting or Sam reacting like, oh, she knows who I am for real. Yeah. But Al's been calling him Sam the whole episode. She can see Al. So who does she see? Does she see Max? Does she see Sam? Who does she see? I think she sees Sam. Yeah, I, I just assumed she saw Sam. But... If she says, who do you think I was really here for? She's talking about Sam. So I think she could see him the whole time, just like she could see Al. Yeah. I guess so, too. And I think what made me confused in my memory of this is because this is at the point where Sam forgets who she is. And then she starts walking away and he's like, who is that? And uh, I thought that that was a really nice twist to the episode, despite the bigger implications for a mirror image. I think it was just a nice way to end it. I don't know why they decided to do it that way, because I haven't thought about it up until this second outside of how it made me reconsider things in mirror image. Like, why would they make it so that he doesn't remember her? In story reason. That's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is? 
one moment he, he's one of them and the next he's just a memory and all you can say is that's the way it is? Sometimes that's the way it is is the best explanation. <laughs> but now you're, you're getting, you're, you're, you're jumping ahead. I'm uh, just being a, being a wise ass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess like they're just like, that's how it works with angels. That's how they go and save people. Just come in, save the day, and then no one remembers they were there. I think I just figured it out. You know why no one remembers her? Hmm. Because her penance was her big ego. You have to be truly selfless. So you know what? You were going to save the day time and time again, but no one will ever give you the credit. Yeah, except for Al. Al remembers. There's the time travel loophole, the holograms. Yeah, people from this time don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So he remembered the angel. The angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know. Uh, I guess we're 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 getting into final thoughts here. And uh, Matt, why don't you start? Yeah, I think this is a lovely, it's a sweet episode. There's a lot of beautiful moments. A small cast, but every one of them real stars. I love this one. It's not one I go back to regularly, I think because it's quite a, it's quite a small episode. But whenever I watch it, I've, I always have a huge smile on my face. Oh, Alison? Yeah, I think this is a nice episode. There's like one or two kind of problematic things about it <laughs> when that make watching it back a little bit like, Ew. but uh, overall, <laughs> overall, there's um, there's a nice sentiment. There's a really solid cast. It's a nice, small, sweet story. I'll agree with that. And for me, this is the very first supernatural episode of Quantum Leap that works hands down. Didn't you say that about ghost shit? We well, said kinda. I said it works sorta. <laughs> I think that, you know, all the pieces do come together in this one, and I absolutely adore it. I don't know that it would be a top five, but it is for sure one of the more memorable episodes of Quantum Leap. I think it has mainly to do with Liz Torres and not only the broad performance that she gave that was really funny, but also the personal things that she brought to the role and how she made this larger-than-life character really sweet and down-to-earth at the same time. So, way to go, Liz Torres. All right. So I guess it's a wonderful leap. Truly is a wonderful leap. So um, you know what else is wonderful, guys? We have a new patron on Patreon. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Craig Riedler to the Quantum Leap Patreon family. Woo! Thanks, Craig. Yay! Thank you, Craig Riedler. Craig joins us at the $10 oh boy level. That means that not only does he get access to all of the exclusive Patreon content that we are in the process of producing, but I, yours truly, Chris, will also eventually interview him about his Quantum Leap fandom. Again, a Patreon feed exclusive. So again, thank you so much, Craig. We are humbled by your support. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thank you. And you know what else we have, guys? Almost as good as having Craig on board Patreon. We have some feedback. (laughs) We have some feedback. Now, I have a little story behind this feedback. We actually have a couple of voicemails. And these are the first voicemails we've been featuring in quite a while. And that is because both Albie and I lost the password to the (laughs) account. (laughs) 
Oh, good. You guys. Yeah, that has the voicemail. So I was able to sort of finagle it. And finally this weekend, I was able to crack the code. So I was able to access the voicemails again. And we didn't miss many, but there are two. And they are nice. And uh, it's just nice to sort of break it up with some of the voicemails. Because I enjoy not only hearing from the listeners, but hearing the listeners. So this first voicemail is from Keith from Ohio. And here's what he had to say about our show about the plays The Thing. Hi, my name is Keith. I live in Ohio, and I just listened to your podcast about the plays The Thing. And to be honest with you, that's not my favorite episode of Quantum Leap, but it's certainly one of them. Um, if I had to choose a favorite, though, that I think is like one of the greatest, it'd probably be Jimmy, because that was an episode that really talked about like what it would be like to be mentally challenged when people don't understand, you know, what that's like, particularly in 1964. So thanks for making me think of that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I wanted to play that because, you know, when we think of the plays, the thing, I don't think that's anybody's favorite episode. I have to be honest with you. You know, it's not one of mine. And uh, the only thing we, we always come saying, nude. I, I wonder if Keith was nude when he recorded that. But uh <laughs> Was he being innovative? He was being, I think, innovative. To, to leap from the plays of thing to thinking about Jimmy, I think that Jimmy stands out as such an iconic episode. Keith, you're not alone in that sentiment because we've been talking a lot about season five in this episode, and they go back to Jimmy's story in season five to expand on the Quantum Leap mythology significantly. So I think that... Um, Invoking the name Jimmy is sort of like, you know, one of the most quantum leapy things you can do. Uh, they use that character to such good effect over and over again in the series. Whether or not you like evil leaper stories, it really did open up new horizons in what we fans can sort of dig our teeth into as as leapers. So anyway, I, I kind of liked getting the call back to Jimmy in this from an episode like for once in my life, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like the place of thing. Thanks for calling, Keith. Yeah, thank I you. appreciate getting uh, getting voicemail from people. It's pretty cool. Always good to hear from people. Yeah, and um, the other one that we have is uh, a caller that did not leave her name, but um, she heard our episode on Single Drop of Rain, and this is what oh. she had to say. Hey guys, I just loved your most recent podcast, the Rain episode. I appreciated the thoughts on God in the episode from Two Atheists. I thought you guys did a really good job um, talking about faith in the episode. Great episode, guys. I'm a huge fan of Quantum Leap. I've been watching since I was probably like five or six years old. Um, and my husband and I have a standing date night every week where we watch an episode. So I really enjoyed your podcast. Thanks. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, isn't that sweet? Now, which is the third person that's not an atheist on this call? I'm not an atheist. Oh, okay. So there you go. So just me and Matt. Okay. Oh, I might okay. have mentioned in the in the podcast. Uh, I identify as Christian. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it was such a long time ago. But I'm just glad to know. You know, I mean, a lot of atheists can be obnoxious about it. Um, I'm glad to know that we weren't. Yeah. I don't mind if people have beliefs. I think your beliefs are your beliefs, and they're amazing and good for you. And if you want to live that faith, by all means. Do I sound like a condescending douche? I might. I don't think you do. I think there's some people that like think like atheism is a personality and then they use it to like just be an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think I've never got that from you guys. So. Okay. Oh, good. Good. 
Well, we're glad that we were able to, you know, discuss things in a certain viewpoint, yet have it, I think, translate to someone who has another viewpoint. So that makes me happy that we were able to sort of reach someone who doesn't necessarily believe what we believe, but got something out of what we had to say about it. So does that make sense? Yeah, and I, and I think with Quantum Leap, it's quite it's quite easy to have those kind of discussions in a safe space because it, within the Quantum Leap universe, there is quite clearly a god. So whether you in real life happen to identify as atheist or Christian or whatever, we can still comfortably talk about the god in the Quantum Leap universe without getting into a debate about what's real and what isn't. So I like that, and there's there's very few. Well, there's a handful of science fiction shows that you can really do that with. Yeah, and I mean, God was a huge theme in this episode. Yeah, uh, it's a wonderful leap. So yes, and it's always it's always an interesting discussion. Yeah, regardless of what your personal beliefs are, I think they always present the belief system in the show in such an intriguing way. It's a very uh, Christian heavy show. Yeah, but they they usually present it in sort of like. If you don't believe in it, it could go either way. They do very clearly say that like there is a, a god in it, but uh, it's like a science fiction mixed with religion, mixed with just drama kind of thing that uh, it doesn't, at least to me, usually doesn't feel too preachy about it. Right. Not heavy handed. It's yeah. there. It's part of the fabric of the show, but you don't need to buy into that to enjoy the show. So... I, I like the way they present it as well, Allison. Well, thank you so much to Keith from Ohio. Thank you to our anonymous caller who didn't leave your name. It is really nice to get back into the voicemails again. So if you want to be like Keith and like um, the single drop of rain lady, that's what we're going to call you from now on, single drop of rain lady. <laughs> you can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can also send us an email at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod, and you can always support the show by going to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Just remember that we may use one of your responses on an upcoming episode of the show. So, Matt, speaking of upcoming episodes, what's next? Next time, your impossibly beautiful cast of podcast hosts will be talking about <laughs> moments to live. <laughs> Losing her, Doctor. Do something. Doctor? Uh, doctor, are you all right? Uh, yeah, I, I just need a second to figure out what... She's in full arrest. Oh, no. She's gone. No. She can't be. It's her fault. What? She trusted you. You killed her. Oh, you bastard. You, you murdered my wife. Oh, boy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and probably not falling down elevator shafts, but you never know. <laughs> One of us falls down an elevator shaft and then returns, played by our twin. <laughs> yeah, I remember this being... Um, a real good episode. So I hope that it holds up in reality the way I sort of remember it because I think we have two wonderful actors that we're going to be able to talk about for moments to live. Yeah, I really like that episode. 
I'm looking forward to discussing it with you guys. Until then, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. Which also had Diana Mulder as the uh, the blind attaché, and uh, she later played Doctor Pulaski. Oh, nice! She the one that fell down an elevator shaft. Did Pulaski fall down an elevator shaft? No, that actress in a different role. <laughs> I don't know. She she just walks into an elevator and falls down a shaft. <laughs> Look it up. There's clips of it. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and now I'm, I'm desperately trying to think of. I'm desperately trying to think of somebody in Next Generation Season 2 that was in Quantum Leap so I can vaguely bring us back on track. Um, (laughs) Who was on screen with Pulaski that was in Quantum Leap? Okay, I'll send you the clip of her falling down an elevator shaft. Here you go. Please do. Here's the (laughs) clip. Let me see it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's definitely her. It's pretty good. Oh my god, stop talking and fall down the goddamn shaft already. There we go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is just like playing against Seymour. Yeah. So, yeah, I brought uh, it back. Less happy ending, I guess. (laughs) Oh, Oh. She went this splat. (laughs) Much like Angelita. And I went this splat. All right. We're going to clap in five, four, three, two, one. Clap, 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 clap. My claps aren't very good. My cat's laying on one arm. <laughs> one arm. I'll clap. make it work. I don't mind. Okay, they're kind of soft. <laughs> you can clap like Trip at the end of Enterprise, just like slap your thigh. <laughs> what did he? Have? Don't ask me why I thought of that. Did he? Have- yeah, he had like his arm in a sling or something. Oh, I see. That's, that's an obscure thing to oh, remember. Yeah, I wouldn't even yeah, remember. Well, and I've sadly seen Enterprise <laughs> twice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't ask me why I, you know, I, I just, I just remember that one little fact. Anyway, uh, room tone. That that is classic enterprise. <laughs> and like, isn't isn't one of the main parts of the plot is that like he's he's trying to get enough cab fares by a certain date? Wouldn't the end of the year be a perfect time for that? Surely it should be set on New Year's Eve or something. Is there an alarm going mm. off or something? 
Sorry, that's my dishwasher. It's going to do that, I think, one <laughs> one more time. It's because it's just finished. I think it's going to do it one gotcha. more time. Okay. <sighs> I just wanted to make sure. That, yeah, uh, no. I'm, so I'm do sorry. me a favor. Just re- re- repeat your last sentence if you remember it, because it, it was beeping right on top of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, because one of the main plot points of the episode is that he's trying to get a certain amount of cab fares by a random date, which surely it would make more sense if it was the end... Oh, <laughs> There's a pod for us Somewhere a pod for us